Welcome to Coalcast, an information security podcast brought to you by Coalfire Labs, the largest penetration testing company in North America. I'm your host, Logan. And I'm the other host, Nate. And in case you hadn't heard, a pandemic is sweeping the globe. Thousands of people have lost their lives so far. Restaurants and retailers are being forced to shut down. Hospitals are overwhelmed. And if you're lucky, you're stuck at home. So with this new and uncharted territory is coming a lot of new cyber threats. Nate and I are going to talk as professional ethical hackers about what we've seen, and we've also got an exclusive interview at the end of the show with Mark Rogers, a founding member of the COVID-19 CTI League, a cyber justice league of sorts, working to fight off any hackers trying to take advantage of this pandemic. Coalfire has also started a knowledge repository for what organizations and individuals can do to secure themselves. You can find this at coalfire.com slash progress confidently. So with that, Nate, I'm turning it over to you. How has your day-to-day work changed uh, considering all this? Yeah, you know, it really hasn't um, much. I mean, there's been a, a little bit of concern regarding our clients about whether or not they're going to stick to schedule. And, um, you know, there's been a little bit of calendar rotation uh, in terms of schedule pen tests. People saying like, you know what, we, we may have to hold off on getting this thing tested and that. But that's really the main thing from my own personal perspective um, in terms of daily work. In terms of the industry, though, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I've seen discussions about this on, you know, on Twitter and different places is should pen testers, ethical hackers use COVID, the current pandemic we're in right now as a pretext to get credentials from victims that they're, you know, assigned to to fish. So, Logan, I'm going to put that question on you. What are your thoughts on that? So, this is actually kind of funny we we tossed around the idea of of discussing this topic because it was one of the first thing that came to both of our minds and I, I was having fun just like thinking about it uh from like a thought experiment point of view but believe it or not i had a fish this week where i proposed a corona fish and they shot <laughs> it down oh they shot it down because oh. well and and the interesting thing is that they approved it prior so, I mean, uh-huh. we both know as as Americans, the uh, message to the country for the first month or two was that, like, this is just something in China. This is something in China that isn't going to be easily transmitted to humans. It's um, not that big of a deal. And that was like January, February. And then all of a sudden, early March, it was, we're shutting down borders. It's in the United States. Everybody start working from home, stock market crashing. So this fish had been approved. Uh, when it was not not too huge of a deal, and two weeks went by, and it suddenly became a very big deal, and they shut down the fish. They said, "Nope, not not Corona anymore. We don't want our employees getting like bombarded or scared." So, I personally don't have any moral issue with it because that's kind of the point of a fish is to scare and trick people into submitting their password to you. But I can see why organizations wouldn't be too keen on uh, <laughs> on approving it. Right, right. And that's kind of my opinion. I mean, we are tasked with mimicking evil. We're we're tasked with yeah. mimicking exactly what a malicious uh perpetrator would do. And it's it's the responsibility of the of our clients or whatever to prepare their employees for those types of attacks. And if they're not willing to prepare their employees for the, those type of attacks, well, what do you expect is going to happen? They're not going to be prepared for those types of attacks when they occur. So my position is that it's it's better to have, you know, coal fire 
um, be the nasty guys than, you know, Joe Schmo, who's, you know, trying to trying to actually get information and data and steal from you, yeah. from my clients. So that's kind of my position. I think it's it's safer, you know, that we get them, you know, and it's safer that they get that the proper awareness, you know, where the client's like, hey, look, you know, I, I'd rather have the 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 victims like have to do like the little uh the what is it 30 minute training course you know after they get fished it's like okay you got to click the link now to go to training like i'd rather mm-hmm. that be the the repercussions rather than a malicious hacker just got you from the covet thing like that would be horrible cool cast a lot of companies have been forced to go remote or to otherwise have to start facilitating access to their systems where they would not normally be accessed. I mean, normally there's a sysadmin that can connect to this secure desktop environment and then RDP from there to this other system. And now they're having to figure out, well, wait, we can't have that sysadmin go into that building anymore because we shut down that office. Like, what are we going to do? So there's a lot of new VPN servers out on the internet. There's a lot of RDP suddenly exposed. Um, there's there's the Shodan safaris that that different people in the info security space will do where they just sort of scan uh, for systems with SSH open to the internet or RDP open to the internet. And they've seen a big increase in those systems being internet exposed. Are these systems properly protected or are they just kind of thrown up haphazardly? Everybody's rushing, you know, and you know, there's going to be a lot of password one, two, threes out there and winter 2020s and stuff yeah. like that. I expect. Yeah, a lot of systems where it's, oh, we don't, we don't have time to do two-factor auth. We just have, like, there's other fires that need put out. We can't worry about security right now. Yeah, and, and that's another thing, too, to think about is these systems aren't, haven't been pen tested. You know, these are fresh, yeah. you know, brand new stuff that has been stood up probably overnight and haven't, hasn't seen, you know, proper testing is a straight raw uh, foothold to the network, uh, you know, exposed to the internet. You know, so that's yeah. that's the other things too. Yeah, a lot of organizations with these internal systems, they say, oh, well, they're protected behind you know this firewall, and this firewall is behind another firewall, so we're not even going to test the system; it's out of scope. Well, now suddenly that that out of scope system is exposed to the internet, so sysadmin can remote in from home to do their job. Mm. And uh, why is it not in scope now? Like we just haven't had time to test it. So that's cyber pollution, and I think we're going to continue to see it. Uh, and we might not even see a lot of it for years. Like how many of these systems are going to be online, left online, forgot about, abandoned, and uh, suddenly be used, like you said, as a foothold a year or two from now for a hacker. That's going to be scary. Yeah. And the other one, too, I hate this word, uh, shadow IT. Oh, people wanting to to set up on their own, you know, methods to remote into their own systems. And I, look, I'll be honest that I have used shadow IT, not at coal fire, <laughs> not at coal fire, but in previous jobs, I was very, very bad about this. And, <laughs> and going in and setting up like a little team viewer, you know, session so you can just team viewer into your computer. Like I was really, really bad about that. Um, and now I'm a hacker. So yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, I could just see people, you know, just going, getting a little free zoom, you know, thing or a free, uh, team viewer thing and setting it up on their own, on their own system. Um, and, you know, not asking anybody and just so that they can, you know, uh, remote into their, to their systems, you know, at work or whatever, and, and setting up a weak password and, and then getting compromised. Safety is number one priority. 
you mentioned Zoom specifically. I wanna I wanna talk a bit about Zoom. Mm-hmm. Now they they've had it rough. They initially took off because of this. Uh, they were an accessible, easy to use remote video sharing and chatting software. And uh, suddenly, because of their popularity, they had a lot of eyes on them. A lot of expert eyes were were looking at Zoom from a security perspective and from a privacy perspective. They had a lot of press that that were saying, you know, this or that about them being insecure. Zoom has responded and said, you know, we're going to take these or that steps to to mitigate your concerns. But in the meantime, there's a lot of people that that are looking for a replacement or that you know, or just kind of coping with, with what they've got. You know, I, I start to think about how much bandwidth that they can actually maintain, you know, with this virus, I'm sure like their bandwidth went through the roof, you know? So I wonder yeah. if that's can be actually become a potential avenue of, you know, attack for stuff like people who like to DDoS and take stuff offline, you know? And I mean, that will have, huge effects on companies, you know, if, if they're no longer, if they relied on this Zoom technology to, to uh, interact and, and basically house their business communications for that to suddenly just go offline for, let's say, the United States or a country, you know, that's, that's huge loss. Yeah. Yeah. Zoom uh, is, is being overloaded, right? With like how many people are suddenly using it, like you said, and then uh, VPN servers. A lot mm. of companies, you know, let's say they didn't have to spin one up in a sur- in, in a hurry. They already had a VPN server. They already had a lot of people working from home. Uh, but can their VPN servers that were originally meant to support a hundred remote employees suddenly support a thousand remote employees? Uh, is that scalability in place for these organizations? And what else? Telecom, right? I mean, we've we've seen it all over. Uh, a lot of just infrastructure, cyber infrastructure wasn't prepared for for the amount of traffic it was going to get i think people mentioned like cell towers even were were being like overloaded at points so yeah i didn't even think about the cell phone industry i think we got a hacker i wonder what happens if we do start seeing a lot of ethical hackers lose their jobs how many ethical hackers out in the industry right now a few thousand how many of those might turn to cybercrime if they lose their job and they're put in a really tough spot like they they have a family they got to keep alive and fed. Are they going to? Well, I just have to plug this flash drive into this business, and hmm. I'll get I'll get some ransomware set up. It's so easy. It's just out of the box. Yeah, and the other thing to too is you know people who have these bug bounty programs and stuff, um, and may already have footholds, you know, and are just kind of yeah. just sitting on them, you know. Um, or maybe somebody has like a zero day and they're just sitting on it, you know, and they're ethical, you know, they just haven't released it. And then they just say, um, you know, times are getting rough. Maybe I just want to use this, you know, maybe I'll just use it one time, you know, and yeah, just, you know, start eating based off of that. Like, or sell it like you could sell. Yeah, exactly. Like an O day. I'm, we, we both know people that are very smart and definitely have O days that they're sitting on because they're not perfect yet. They're trying to get this nice exploit so they can debut it at black hat or whatever. Right. And report it ethically. But yeah, if they lose their job and they lose their house and they have kids that they got to keep fed and keep off the streets and they might <laughs> say, Hmm, that $10,000 check from the, you know, so-and-so government might might be sounding pretty good right now for my O day. Call cost. 
you know, maybe bug bounties would be a good way for companies to start testing their, um, you know, these sudden systems that they're raising. You know, if they can't schedule an annual pen test on their VPN server that they just, you know, threw up overnight, maybe bug bounty or something could be a, a, a quick way to to get it tested for like a week or something like that. You know, if they want to do a week program through Hacker One. Maybe, I don't know, I'm just kind of throwing ideas out there, but I think that's something that, that could maybe help in this whole COVID uh, era. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, definitely. I mean, for, for an organization to say, hey, look, we've made a lot of infrastructure changes over the last couple of weeks in response to this COVID outbreak, and we don't know what that's all going to entail uh, in terms of unexpected side effects for our cybersecurity. So would you like to take a look and we'll pay you? I think that would be good. I just think not a lot of organizations are going to do it. The ones that are most at risk are at risk because they're not focused on security. I mean, it's hospitals, right? A lot of hospitals are doing it because they're overwhelmed. Their their staff is like 24-7 on call dealing with people dying. They don't have time to to devote as much time and energy to to like making sure that your RDP uh, server is using the right encryption, for example, things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that I think that organizations should consider. I think that organizations in general should just be more open to using bug bounties to say, hey, look, you know, there's already people out there going to hack us. If you report it instead of trying to do some crime with it, then we'll pay you cold hard cash up front instead of you going to jail. I think that's like an obvious, you know, for the person that's doing the hacking, that's an obvious winner there. Hey, guys, I'm Hacker Man. I went to B-Sides Atlanta. Like there's no, yeah, there's no having to fly down to Atlanta. It was a free conference and they just gave out the link. So why not just like pop it on while I'm playing some video games or whatever and just try to catch the occasional talk. So in general, conferences are shut down, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And conferences, I mean, they're a huge part of our industry. It's like a family reunion. There's that element. And then there's also the whole new information, you know, the zero days and all this other Mm -hmm. stuff. So it's a very big thing that pushes our industry forward a lot. So having those shut down hurts us, you know what I mean? But then having them, I think, like you said, having them switch remotely, like where everybody can attend, uh, I think will actually end up helping if people, you know, know about it and attend. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the biggest trouble, like trouble is getting people interested because it sounds a lot more fun to fly to Vegas and to get a ticket and go to Caesars and go to this big hacker conference in Las Vegas than it does to go to a Zoom meeting. Like one of them is clearly sexier and cooler than the other. So I think getting all these hackers that are already in Zoom meetings all all day long already, what's another virtual meeting? Like uh, the perspective of the person being invited to this virtual conference is like, well, why do I want to go to the, your virtual conference when there's these other virtual conferences? Like if it's a GoToMeeting or Zoom link, then what's special about it? Yeah, yeah. It takes away the uniqueness of the conference. It's like, you know, isn't Hack in Paris like a really, you know, good one? I haven't been there, but. Yeah, I've heard yeah. Hack in Paris is great and it's cool. You get to go to Paris, see the Eiffel Tower and see a bunch of people around you speaking French and stuff. Yeah. And then com- in compared to like Wild West Hackenfest, you know, those two, I would assume are very different. But then once you put them in an online conference room, it's kind of like. Well, what's the difference? Great. I'll go to all sorts of conferences now, now that they're so easy to go to and that they're free because they're just Zoom meetings that people can share the link to. <laughs> and that's 
that's another big problem with all these remote meetings all of a sudden is that the privacy aspect if if there's no more what black hat if they're doing all virtual and they normally charge thousands of dollars to go to black hat well if they're just doing a you know here's your link to get in well then i'll pay the thousand and give everybody else the link and they can go for free i'm not saying i'd actually do that please don't you know sue me black hat but yeah. That's something that, that a lot of people are going to have to start now considering if we're doing all virtual conferences. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a valid consideration for sure. Um, and then one other thing that I was thinking about is no more Sky Talks, right? Can't do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. people like screen recording possibly. You can't have the FBI sitting in the, in the, in the conference, you know, with you or whatever, I guess. Yeah. And you know they're going to be there if it's remote. Like, you know that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when mm. all the audio is being saved on new company, like this other company's servers, like this is kind of shadow IT. Oh, unless, yeah, dang. I unless organizations are like, you know, getting contracts or something, but. Yeah, yeah, I think I did read something about, the, uh, you know, how some of these um, these virtual, you know, plat- uh, conferencing platforms have their infrastructure set up to where, you know, the clients are all reporting back to their servers and they can easily just give that data to third parties, listen in on it, uh, you know, and do basically whatever they want with it. Yeah. Or they're load balancing and they've got servers hosted all over the world. Mm. Like if a hospital suddenly has to have a meeting and they're like, Oh, well, what do we use? What do we use? Let's use zoom as an example. And that's being routed through another country's servers or, or servers in another country. Is that a HIPAA violation? Oh, dang. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, and there's a lot of those weird little things that I think that like people are just overlooking either out of necessity or or just because they don't want to think about it. Yeah, well people are being very quick to to throw it to accepted risk. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. Uh, well, there's nothing we can really do about that. Coldcast at coldfire.com. Did you see this tweet by the NYPD? Oh, the drone thing. or something. Yeah, the, like the <laughs> drones, yeah. So this guy, he's like the one of the big guys in charge of the NYPD. He tweets out this video of drone footage uh, saying, hey, you know, we've been doing a lot of uh, surveillance <laughs> over the last week or so, uh, both over the air and in cars and on foot. Oh and we just want to say thank you to the people of New York City for, you know, staying indoors and, uh, what is it, complying with the the law and it's just like he thought it was so sweet i guess to tweet it out i don't know if he thought (laughs) that this was like a nice thing but the way i look at it is that this guy's bragging on twitter about using drones to spy on citizens right that's exactly what he's doing (laughs) right i think a lot of people just in general not even in the it community but a lot of you know citizens were shocked to see you know, their apartment complex and all this other stuff in the footage. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that's just like one of the other examples of this shock doctrine, they call it. The idea is that in a time of crisis, the government is going to take advantage of it and say, okay, well, now that all the people are distracted by this pandemic, what can we do to control them more? We're going to start by flying drones around saying, oh, okay, well, you know, thank you for staying indoors. And that'll make them more comfortable with having drones flying around spying on them. And then a year from now, when the pandemic's gone, the drones are still flying around and, and people don't think anything of it because it's the new normal. And we're seeing it with this Earn It Act, possibly, saying, hey, you're no longer allowed to use services like Signal because your text messages shouldn't be encrypted because 
what, you're doing something illegal? You shouldn't be committing crimes. It's scary. And it's, uh, yeah, I think they, I, I don't think they thought that decision all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were trying to be, you know, and encourage, I think that's what they're trying. They're trying to encourage, you know, the citizens and be like, you know, great job, you know, whatever. But when people start seeing that they have been doing this for a while, you know, and using it to spy basically. Yeah, that's really, that's really concerning. The, we were talking about infrastructure being overwhelmed and like VPN servers being overwhelmed and things Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, Unemployment systems are also being overwhelmed. I don't know if you heard about New Jersey's unemployment uh, system that they have, but they had so many people filing for unemployment in New Jersey that it went down. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it's an old system too. It was written in COBOL. So it's like, you know, from the nineties or whatever. And uh, the New Jersey government is frantically trying to hire people as COBOL programmers, <laughs> mm. which those are hard to find nowadays. Not a lot of people want to learn COBOL, let alone maintain systems running them. So they've actually got people like coming out of retirement, like these old dudes that are they're retired. They like worked on the space station or whatever. They know mm-hmm. COBOL and it's like, all right, well, let's let's take a look here and see. That's kind of neat. Yeah, man, I didn't even think about that because a lot of those government systems are really, really old. You know, stuff that a lot of them are just terminals. We have with us now Mark Rogers, vice president at Okta, head of SecOps at DEF CON, and a founding member of the COVID-19 CTI League, a cyber justice league of sorts consisting of over 500 InfoSec experts from across the world working to stop any hackers that might take advantage of this coronavirus pandemic. Mark, thanks so much for being here, and welcome to Colcast. Thank you for having me. So we have been in the thick of things for about a month now. The CTI League has so far done an incredible job coordinating experts from all different parts of InfoSec all around the world. We've got leaders from companies like Microsoft and Amazon, uh, people running phishing AI platforms, so a lot of really incredible blue team information sharing and coordination. Uh, but as we know, hackers share information too. This is an arms race. So... How has the fight evolved since CTI League's inception? Have things gotten better, worse? I think it's kind of, it's, it's a bit like a game of whack-a-mole. Um, I mean, we, we've seen the bad guys uh, treat big events like this like a gold rush in the past. You know, when you see things like the Olympics or when you see some kind of national disaster, there's always a campaign of bad guys who try to take advantage of the chaos and the lack of information to exploit people this is global and so we're seeing it everywhere you know i see phishing emails in every language known to man the good thing is because it is a rush a lot of the stuff we're seeing is old so there's a lot of reskinned malware there's a lot of reused phishing messages and campaigns so detecting it is actually in some cases pretty easy and so we are producing some huge numbers like you know, we've taken down thousands of domains um oh, wow. I, we're able to clip these uh, campaigns right at the source um but the the really cool thing for me was you know this whole thing started as just a project with a bunch of infosec friends getting together because you know we couldn't go out and have a beer in the afternoon so <laughs> what do we do as infosec people when we can't have a beer and well we get onto our computers again um, and so we thought, you know, let's get together and, and, and let's protect those who are trying to protect us and, and see how we can help the hospitals because 
we know from things like WannaCry that hospitals are exposed and when they get hit, it can have catastrophic effects. So it started with a a few of us and (laughs) it's growing. Um, But the fascinating thing for me has been um, there's not just this appetite to fight and to do good, but there's this appetite for collaboration that I've never seen before. Um, Normally in InfoSec, we're all siloed. We're all in our little companies and and we operate in our space. And while we do share to, to try and work to the common good, there's quite a lot of stuff held back because, you know, this is something that we want to release before they release it. Or um, even sometimes things get lost in translation. If you pick a piece of malware, it's got 25 different names across 25 companies, you know. Um, But everyone's come together and none of those things seem to matter now. And, and it's not just InfoSec people. We have uh, a whole bunch of federal agencies on, on there now. Um, we have law enforcement engagement from like, dozens of countries. I, mean, I, I, was, I, I was chuckling the other night when uh, Gendarmerie from, from Paris joined. <laughs> and I'm like, That's okay, awesome. the French cops are here now. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it was awesome to see like, this willingness to engage. And the result has been... You know, normally when you go to take down something that's in a foreign country, it's a really convoluted process. You have to find points of contact in registrars. You have to send multiple emails. Maybe you have to go through some kind of legal process. And now, without cutting any corners, because we're all together, I can just literally say, hey, is there anyone from Registrar X in Poland? And some guy will go, yes. And the next thing we know, we have a conversation. And about 20 minutes later, the domain's down. And it's oh, like, wow. this is amazing. <laughs> um, one of the best ones, I, I, obviously I can't name the institute, but a major uh, institution had a critical uh, infrastructure vulnerability that was being uh, exploited by an active malware campaign to distribute malware. Right. Um, it was identified. It became public. Um, we spotted it at the same time as it became public. And then we worked with federal agencies other infosec people, hackers, and attacked this thing from both ends, dismantled the campaign, coordinated with the federal guys to to get the infrastructure vulnerability patched, and had the whole thing wrapped up in three hours. Oh, wow. (laughs) As running a, a, a major company, I'd be proud of those kind of turnaround times. Yeah, no kidding. That is some incredible collaboration. Now, a lot of organizations have had to triple, quadruple, you know, 10 times their remote work capabilities practically overnight. This is setting up new VPN servers, remote meeting software, remote desktop gateways. I mean, security issues are bound to sneak themselves in here and there. So how does the CTI League help out there? Do you guys do free architecture consulting or monitoring for like cyber pollution, things like that? Or is it more focused on incident response and and threat analytics? So we're, we're primarily focused on the medical sector and okay. um, and things that are trying actively to exploit um, COVID-19. Because uh, if we went out to try and fix the internet, I, I think we'd probably be at it for a long time. Um, <laughs> Good point, right? um, we have had to do a little bit of what you mentioned, though. For example, helping the smaller, more remote medical facilities, um, okay. which I was actually kind of shocked. Like, you, know, you, you think about these little town hospitals and things what i didn't realize is they actually make up about 70 percent of america's medical infrastructure (laughs) so i'm like 
well, we really need to do something about that. Um, yeah. So we're trying to provide them with help because in many cases, they don't have technical people on site to help. You know, they've either outsourced their technology stuff or there's a group that comes in and does things. So we've had to come up with processes to help there. Um, we're using open source intelligence tools. We're using things like Shodan, et cetera, to find what's exposed, what's most critical that needs to be fixed, build a list, and then go and, and find stuff. Same time, we're also um, diving the depths of the dark web um, and, and looking on forums for things. And uh, we've, we've turned up tens of thousands of compromised credentials, uh, oh stolen goodness. RDP uh, um, credentials, stolen VPN credentials. And so, of course, we're reporting all those to the organizations. Um, but yeah, it's like it's a it's a mammoth undertaking. Just uh, a few days ago, we um, started up our uh, disinformation wing and brought in a bunch of my friends who've been really really uh, powerful on the disinformation side of things for a few years because there are major disinformation campaigns now s seeking to destabilize the U.S. Definitely, um, and some of them are, are really obvious, and some of them are a little bit more subtle, and so. It needs kind of some finesse. So they're doing that. Um, it's just, it, it blows my mind how much this grows and how many different categories of problem there are. Um, but I guess probably the biggest problem overall is that we're all so distributed. Um, when you're in a, a, an office, you kind of get a little bit of, a, of herd immunity, to, to coin a phrase, uh, right. because there's a group of you together. And if you get a weird looking email, you can turn to someone and say, hey, you seen this email? Or if you click on something, you can just run down to the IT department or security department and get an immediate response. But if you're in some remote location, you know, hanging off of a VPN, how do they get resources in to fix the issues and how do they deal with it? So some of it has been really challenging. And unfortunately, I think quite a few of the bad guys have realized this. And they're pivoting some of their attacks now to go after individuals so they can go after organizations. It's crazy. I've never seen this tsunami of cyber uh, ever before. Um, yeah. But it is kind of good that people are responding. Um, there are other groups like the CTI League. Um, I'd, I'd be doing them a disservice if I didn't give them a shout out. There's, there's a group called the, um, the uh, COVID-19 CTI Coalition which was started by some some guys from Sophos that's also doing great stuff in producing um, uh, IOCs and producing whitelists and blacklists that can be used to to protect uh, against this stuff. Um, and there's a, a, a massive group in the UK doing some of the things, which shows like across the whole of Infosec, there is this appetite to fight back. And, yeah. and for me, I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, it's like, one of the the bright lights about this whole scenario you know oh yeah definitely it's really heartwarming to see how uh, the infosec community is coming together to sort of try to fix or at least mitigate this huge problem how about the insider threat there are a lot of layoffs happening right now have you seen any instances of mass data exfiltration or maybe a bad sysadmin setting up some sort of layoff detection logic bomb attack we have seen data exfiltration, and we do know of several um, ransomware campaigns that have said explicitly that they're going to target hospitals. Um, okay. But whether or not there's an insider element to it, it's it's not clear. 
Um, we tend to, like with, with some of the bigger threats, what we tend to do is uh, attribute as much as we can, but neutralize as much as possible and then hand it over to the authorities so that they can then take care of it. And okay. it's not always clear to us you know, what happens at the end in terms of you know, who was responsible. Our job is to, to take care of the risk. And once that's been mitigated, right, you know, they can go and, and, and prosecute whoever. But there are dumps happening. Um, there are breaches going on. Um, the fact that we're finding new and fresh credentials and things like that are a pretty good sign of it. Now, how much money do you think has been spent in this fight so far? If we're talking about ransomware, for example, the best solution is backups, and backing up requires storage space. So where's the space coming from? Uh, same question for new infrastructure. Are organizations spending their own money? Is the CTI League raising funds somehow? Uh, what's funding this fight? Yeah, so we're not spending any money. Um, we, we have some very uh, generous sponsors um, who are giving us their resources. Oh, um, nice. So folks like uh, GitHub uh, giving us access to GitHub. Uh, Slack was one of the first uh, folks to back us, and they gave us a, a Slack instance so we could use it to communicate. Um, we're using Google. Um, we're using uh, – I've, I've, I've lost track of how many different companies have just – given us resources to use and especially security companies giving us access to tools and stuff. Um, most people tend to work in their sort of hours after work. Um, so there's not too much time donation. I don't think that's because companies don't want to. I think it's more because as InfoSec people, we feel responsible for our own companies as well. And yeah. so we don't want to get caught napping, you know, or, or caught protecting someone and have our own companies run into trouble. So. <laughs> right. That's, that's how it tends to balance out. But I think the spend in terms of, you know, outside of the CTI league has been obscene. Um, I, I, I think companies are throwing money at the problems, trying to come up with solutions. And as we all know in InfoSec, like the solutions that you implement as late as possible always end up being the most expensive and the least effective. You know, if it's not yeah. built in right at the start, it's going to cost you. And there are a lot of companies who I think are regretting not having proper pandemic plans, not having uh, thought about how they're going to do this kind of remote working, struggling to adapt to this new world of, of virtual conferencing and remote working. And it's costing a lot of money. Uh, on the ransomware side, we've also seen the bad guys have stepped up their game in terms of what they're asking for. Um, I've seen several uh, ransomware demands sent to hospitals where they're asking for like seven or eight figure amounts. Um, oh my which goodness. Is just, yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, I don't know whether these are amateurs who are just getting in on the gold rush because normally the ransomware guys tend to be a little sat more savvy than that. They try to keep under the radar and they ask enough money that it's a pain, but know, know that fixing things are going to be potentially uh, – uh, more expensive than just paying right. out. Whereas when you start hitting people with demands like that and people are like, well, you know, we might as well build the whole thing all over again. <laughs> $10 million, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's crazy. But it's it just shows they know they've got leverage and they know that if they cause major damage or, or disruption to a hospital, it's going to put lives at risk. And that means that they can ask for more money. And it's kind of depressing. 
So when is the job of the CTI League done? I mean, we might not see some of the long-term consequences of this whole thing for years to come. So what's the CTI League endgame, I should say? That's a great question. Um, we've been thinking about that quite a lot. Um, me and uh, the other three founders, Nate, uh, Chris, and Ohad, um, we we think that there is a need for something like this. You know, yes, this is kind of an unprecedented situation. It's global. Um, no one could have anticipated something like it, but we have seen historically big events with big cyber consequences. And breaking down the barriers to collaboration to allow us to work as a global task force has been incredibly effective. And you can't help but think how effective that would be in those other scenarios. So we are thinking about, can this continue? Um, you know, Once the sword of Damocles is removed from above everyone's head, will they want to continue? It's, it's a great question. Um, so watch this space. Um, we are going to start releasing some information soon about how much good we've done in terms of the sites we've protected and, and other things, because I think by pushing out positive stories, we help reinforce those people who would help us continue uh, and also motivate our, our members towards uh, pushing on. Um, but yeah, I, I think just the COVID side of it is going to have a very long tail because yeah. you're going to see COVID infections going on for a long time. And then on top of that, um, you know, there's the next thing coming up. I mean, November, we've got the uh, the election coming up. And we know for a fact that the country is going to be in a in a shaky state around then. So it's pretty likely that someone's going to try and take advantage of that. So it would be good if we were ready and uh, on point to uh, be the tip of the spear for that as well. So how does your average Joe InfoSec help out here? It seems like the CTI League is pretty prestigious. I mean, I know there's an application process, but if someone wants to help out, what's the best thing they can do? So it's not really an elitist group. Um, we're looking for skill and we're looking for people who are willing to put their time into it. So if you've got any kind of uh, solid background in uh, uh, cyber threat intelligence or threat hunting or penetration testing, um, or you've got a good background in instant response or you know, any of those areas, fill in our application form, which is on our website, and we'll check into you. The only, only real thing that we want to make sure is that everybody on board has the skills to do what we need because it's not a spectator sport. And right. we do a little bit of background checking to make sure you are who you say you are because there's a high level of trust inside the group. Um, that's why we're actually a little bit smaller than some of the other groups uh, because we have this closed format. But it's that closed format that has enabled such tight collaboration with law enforcement and government which I think has made us a, a, a lot more effective um, at doing things like takedowns than we would have been otherwise. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Well, Mark, that does it for all of my questions. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time. Uh, do you have any final parting words for the InfoSec community? Yeah, so what I will say is there is a group for everyone. Um, I'm also on several medical work streams where we're helping build um, uh, log logistical pipelines to move medical supplies around or fabricate things like masks. And there are even like, for example, you go onto Facebook, there's an open source medical supplies group 
where oh, wow. people are hand-stitching masks to send to hospitals. So there is something for everybody out there. I would say to people, get out there, get involved, and, and uh, like, let's do it. You know, let, let's make this a bad year for bad guys. Oh, yeah, I like that. A bad year for bad guys. Awesome. Well, Mark, thanks again so much for coming on the show. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. This has been the Colcast COVIDcast special. Hope everybody has a good day and stay safe out there.